I have a time of reflections and resources and vignettes, and I'm really grateful for the people who have come together, people who are sort of immersed in um, discussing anti-racism work there uh, in, in their own worlds and in their own uh, identities and lives. And we've had a really uh, incredible team of people come together to try and help make this a space that can meet many needs this morning uh, across uh, the spectrum of our community. So let me uh, first invite uh, Jen Conant. As a church, we know we were called to challenge injustice wherever we find it. As an educator in Chicago, I've seen and learned a lot about systemic oppression and inequality in my own city and community and in myself. Um, many of you may be wondering, if you're white like me, how to be an ally to communities of color. I don't have all the answers and I don't pretend to, but I do have a lot of friends and colleagues who identify as people of color who are fighting to change systems of oppression in this country. I spent a lot of time listening to them and learning from them, and here are a few things I've learned. As a church, we should lament. God hates injustice and we should grieve. We should take time to privately and publicly lament over systemic racism and the murder of George, George Floyd. But we also need to understand that this moment isn't about you or me or centering our feelings. Um, and we need to realize that our black colleagues and friends may seem okay, but probably aren't. Check in on them and let them know that you're ready to listen if they want to talk. Don't think that you need to be a perfect ally in order to speak up. Often the desire to be a perfect ally or the fear that we will say something not quite right stops people from speaking up and taking action. But remember that silence only helps the oppressor, never the oppressed. Speaking up includes talking to friends and family. Talking to people about police violence and systemic racism may seem like it doesn't make a difference, but over time it does. Does talking seem uncomfortable to you? Do it anyway. Educate yourself without placing the burden on black people in your life uh, to be your own teacher. Google is your friend. Read books, listen to podcasts that are about systemic racism and its effects. Follow activists and organizations in the community on Twitter. Get on the mailing list uh, and consider support, supporting an organization that advocates for social justice, racial equality, etc. Don't just seek to just be not a racist. Be anti-racist. Anti-racism is the commitment to fight racism wherever you find it, including in yourself. Donate to anti-white supremacy work, such as our local Black Lives Matter chapter, or to the NAACP, the Southern, Law, uh, Southern Poverty Law Center, and other organizations like that. Or support organizations working for criminal justice reform and an end to cash bail. The inab uh, inability to pay bond or bail results in higher rates of conviction, longer sentences, loss of housing and jobs, separation of families, and lost custody of children. Um, here we have the Chicago Community Bond Fund that helps restore the presumption of innocence before trial and enables recipients to remain free while fighting their cases. If you see an active police brutality happening, speak up, start recording, and safely make your presence known. Particularly if you are white, use your privilege to help de-escalate situations where people of color are coming into contact with police. And in the intermediate aftermath of police brutality, there are things you can do, like signing petitions, calling and texting, 
local district attorneys to bring justice um, to officers involved in police violence. Consider going to a protest. Never been? Does it feel uncomfortable? Push past your discomfort. It is nothing compared to 400 years of systemic racism or the fear that black parents have that their children could be killed by police. And realize that you don't have to agree with the signs and actions of every protester to get involved and make a difference. And finally, we need to pray for change in ourselves and in society. Thank you so much, Jen. Thank you for preparing that. It's really valuable that we can mine the resources of those who uh, have some experience um, discussing these and doing their own identity work. Uh, another person that will, uh, who uh, has a, a piece of, of resources to pass on to us, uh, will invite Linda Kim back up. And uh, Linda, I, I, did, I did see your message. We don't have the video ready for you, so make sure you include that in your, um, your okay. chat. Will do, thanks. Um, so yeah, uh, thank you so much for sharing all that. Um, and I'm just gonna add some resources, um, especially for folks who are perhaps just familiarizing themselves with the history of this and wanting to gain the larger context of our um, very long history of systemic, uh, systemic racism and oppression. So um, as a person of a color and educator, someone who's invested invested in breaking down some of the barriers to do equity work for social justice. And as someone who realizes everyone might be at a different place with their identities and understanding of race, uh, I'm gonna share these resources to build awareness towards becoming an anti-racist or to continue the work of creating equitable conditions and outcomes for everyone. So if you can give me just a moment, let me go ahead and drop. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I, there's so much that I could have shared, but I, I'd love to just start with these three for now. So this first one, if you teach or have taught, you might be familiar with this. This is calling, this website is called Teaching Tolerance. It's specifically for educators and students, but I also find it to be just a great introductory resource, um, familiarizing yourself with bias and racism and, you know, what the work of being anti-racist could look like. There's one specific article from that website, which I found to be um, really well written. So that brings me to the second resource and it's about white privilege. What is white privilege really? I found it to be very reader friendly and comprehensive and very thoughtfully written. Um, and uh, what Jennifer just shared, um, like what that work could look like in, in being an anti-racist or becoming one um, is also captured at the bottom of this article. So if you ever get a chance, that's something to check out. This last one, um, I just thought I'd share a video which explains redlining. And that is, um, it captures the history of how our cities were designed to be racially segregated and continue to be segregated um, or ethnic enclaves, whatever, however you want to describe that, um, and why some communities are still so under-resourced. So I thought it did a really nice job of doing that. Yep, that's great. Um, and then I wanna share just one last link with you. If you could give me just one more moment. I came across this video late last night. Some of you all may have seen it. And it's uh, a video made by Tyler Merritt. And he shares about himself in a really, 
what I found to be in a very real and authentic, vulnerable way. Um, and I'm someone who really believes in the power of sharing their stories. So if you all ever get a chance, I think it would be great to witness this. Thank you. Thank you so much, Linda. Thank you. Really appreciate that. Christina Culver, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks, Vince. Um, hi, everybody. I honestly am not sure that it's my voice that people want to hear today coming from a uh, female white woman with privilege. But as a parent, I just wanted to show, share a resource that I have found um, to be pretty helpful, especially recently. About a year ago in um, my own journey of trying to unlearn uh, what my culture has just ingrained in me and working towards being anti-racist. Um, I read something that really stuck with me that said, when helping kids become anti-racist, before they can do that, they have to understand what racism is. And up until that point, you know, we have a, a lot of diverse books in our home library. We have intentional conversations with our kids. They're five, three, and 10 months. But I had to up to that point, never use the word racism or racist with my kids. And I struggled to know how to navigate that conversation with them. But recently I found this book, it's by Jelani Memory. Uh, it's called A Kid's Book About Racism. And it's a book about, it really is age appropriate. And it's a book about the author's Jelani's um, experience being on the receiving end of racism and it explains it in a way that open allowed me to open up the conversation with my kids. It talks about it's, um, it talks about how really really great differences are. If you can see this, I mean, he really emphasizes with all these layers um, just how great our differences are. But then it really hits home at the end that if you see someone who is being treated differently because of the color of their skin, call it what it is, call it racism. And um, that was just a really powerful thing for me. Um, the word racism is uncomfortable for me as a white person and that's not acceptable. I have to do the work and I have to do the work with my kids. And um, I have just found this to be a really valuable um, tool in that journey with my my little kids and wanted to share that. Thank you, Christina. Our next sharing will be from Elizabeth. Thanks, Vince. Um, so when Carl and I first heard that this was the topic for this Sunday, we looked at each other <laughs> and sighed in exhaustion. Um, this issue has been brought up once before at church. And I'm afraid that because of the recent events, it's another conversation to be had for today, and then it's done. Um, I, don't, I don't want this to be another checkbox that's ticked. I, don't, I certainly don't want to be another checkbox that's ticked. I want to see our BLC community do more. It's been very tiring and taxing to think about this, to talk about this, to pray about this. Uh, it's no longer enough. It's no longer us that need to speak up. I think that we've been doing this for so long and we're not looking for pity either. It's the white people that are called to action more than ever. And it's more than just posting about the outrage on social media. We're not the ones that are going to put an end to this systematic racism. It's, it's you because 
you built it on our backs and we're busy picking ourselves up. We're busy fighting for ourselves. And so for once, we want to hear your voices be louder than ours. Um, as Kevin Hart put it, the term white privilege is real. And if everyone chooses to not accept that, then um, he or she is refusing to recognize our now reality. So I read something that really resonated with me and it goes like this. Um, Dear white people, I'm tired of hearing you say, I'm shocked. I can't, I can't believe this. I had no idea. This can't be real. This in all actuality is wildly offensive that our pain is so far off your radar that the mention of it shocks you. It actually is hurtful to know that this news that has been keeping me up at night or praying that when my husband comes back from work at late at night, he doesn't run into a cop or my brother going on a run doesn't run into a cop, hasn't even been a topic of conversation in your world. Instead, when I keep you informed of the blatant abuse, racism, and trauma happening to our people and their families, I need to hear. I found an organization that helps in these types of instances and I'm choosing to participate or I've donated money to it. Um, or we want to hear, I've brought this topic up to my coworkers and family so we can talk through what's happening and what we're going to do about it. Or I've researched more on this and I'm learning or have learned more about the history of this particular race issue we have in our country. Your shock isn't enough. Your wow isn't solidarity. Your actions are the only thing I personally can accept at this point because complacency is not welcome. With all seriousness, don't ignore something because it makes you uncomfortable. Sign a petition, text the district attorney to charge and arrest these officers, anything. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you for being unflinching. And I'll, uh, I'll punt now to Kyle, who's prepared um, uh, some words for us from the, uh, as, as pastors for today. My mic is working. It's my throat that is having a hard time right now. Um, <clears throat> So having a church like this, something that um, when, when this came up and we're trying to think about what is the right way to respond, and uh, you know, Vince and I decided it, this isn't something that we can figure out. And so um, being able to listen to people in the church, listen to you and trying to figure out what is needed right now, um, we heard a lot of things that felt, uh, it led us to a place that um, it feels like we, we need to explicitly make some, some commitments and communicate some things on behalf of a church of how we don't allow this just to be something we're responding to in one week. Because the truth is it's not about this one week, it's about uh, the history of systemic injustice. Um, there's a, 
there's a, a quote that's been bandied around uh, quite a bit on social media from Martin Luther King, but I think that it actually uh, rightfully addresses some of the uh, ways that we can understand how to move forward in this. Um, and it's from his Other America speech. And it reads, uh, I think America must see that these riots do not develop out of thin air. Certain conditions continue to exist in our society, which, we, which must be condemned as vigorously as we condemn riots. But in final analysis, a riot is not, <clears throat> in final analysis, a riot is the language of the unheard. And what is it that America has failed to hear? It has failed to hear the plight of the Negro poor has worsened over the last few years. It has failed to hear that the promises of freedom and justice have not been met. And it has failed to hear that a large segment of white society are more concerned with tranquility and the status quo than about justice, equality, and humanity. And so in a real sense, our nation's summer of riots are caused by our nation's winters of delay. And as long as America postpones justice, we will stand in the position of having these reoccurrences of violence and riots over and over again. Social justice and progress are the absolute guarantors of riot prevention. You know, I think the thing that strikes me about this is that it was written, what, 50 years ago? And it still feels like it could have been written this week. I think that that shows uh, the the lack of follow through, the lack of self understanding, the lack of commitment, and so for us, we wanted to make as, as leadership five commitments as a church, uh, and the first one is that we will use our voice, platform, and influence to make it clear where we see Jesus standing here. Unfortunately, Jesus' name has been taken in many different places in support of things that we think uh, do not align with how Jesus actually stands. And we believe that Jesus stands on the side of the marginalized, oppressed, poor, on the side of those who do not see justice in this life, on the side of those who suffer under systemic injustice and inequality. And this is not just something that we feel and we think of. We find this to be founded in the tradition of faith and in the Bible. From the opening narrative of the Bible in Genesis, we know that all mankind, all men and women are made in the image of God. And any acts that we take that do not honor their image is betraying the rightful dignity that they deserve. And so when we see things that happen that are not honoring the images of what people truly are, then we have misstepped. We see this through the prophets and Jesus even claiming the prophets as he claims the words of Isaiah, calling himself the awaited one, who says in Luke 4, him claiming this truth for what he has come for. So the spirit of the Lord is in me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord. We see this in the life, uh, in, in the words of Jesus, talking about how he has come to humble the exalted and exalt the humbled in Luke 14. We see this in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the life he lived of including the outsider, bringing close the marginalized. 
fighting against the political powers around him, which ultimately led to his death as a victim of injustice to free us from cycles of our own violence and evil so that he walks with us as we experience the injustice of this world. And he was resurrected overcoming death, promising that even in the end, if we don't see justice in this life, justice will be had. We see it in the early church in Acts 4, as the early community committed to the care of each other, committed to the care of people coming from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different racial backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, different national backgrounds, committing by selling their things to make sure that everybody had enough, to make sure that there was no one who had need. It is on the shoulders of this early church, on the shoulders of the ancient Israelites, on the shoulders of Jesus, on the shoulders of heroes of faith like Martin Luther King, that we say that we are committed to make it clear to anybody who is listening to us where Jesus stands here. We often speak about how, you know, uh, life is not one size fits all. Jesus' uh, advice and help for us is not one size fits all. But let us not make that confused with a lack of certainty of where truth is. And we believe that the truth is that Jesus stands with those who have been experiencing generational oppression here. And to do this, we will make sure that our voices are heard and offered in support. Our second commitment is that we will do everything we can to help people in our church grow as human beings and grow as people who understand their social identity and understand their own role in systemic injustice. To do this, we will offer opportunities for education. We will offer help for people to understand more about inequity and the root causes of so much of the world we live in. We'll do this by encouraging each other to look inward, that the problem of the world for many of us actually starts with understanding ourselves and our own brokenness better. A third commitment is not to ignore the challenges of a church that is led by two white men. To do this, we will be intentional to invite non-white and non-male voices to the table, not just in word, but in decision-making, in teaching, so that everything we will do is in a position to make sure that we are actually a reflection of the place we want to be, understanding the limitations of who we are through our own social identities. Our fourth commitment is that we will be intentional in how we use the resources of this church, how we use our time, how we use our energy, and how we use our money. We will not spend money on volunteer events and services that simply help us feel good. We will do what we can to support organizations and people through the way that we activate the people in our church and the way that we spend the money that are attempting to truly address the issues of systemic inequity and racism. Our fifth commitment is what we would like to have space for here today as well, as we commit to create a safe space to grieve and lament injustice. To grieve and lament the injustice that has happened in the past, and to grieve and lament the injustice that will continue to happen until the world has changed. And to do this, we will make sure that we create spaces where people are given safe permission to grieve as they are, given tools in a society that doesn't have good tools in how to grieve and lament. And we will look to the Holy Spirit to bring restoration and healing to our hearts that feel so wounded. For us as a church, it feels important that we commit to these things, not just today, but that we going forward as a community be a better reflection of Jesus. And to us, Jesus would not just address this on a one-off. Jesus would follow through and walk with us as a community and making this world 
as, as his prayer says, that on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Kyle. We've asked, uh, as we close our time of reflections and, and, um, and vignettes here and commitments, uh, we've asked Kevin Williams to pray for us. Kevin, would you pray over us as we um, stay in this, this space for a bit longer? Sure. <clears throat> Jesus, you see during this time of great pain and frustration and fury, um, you see the anger that's being demonstrated. And Lord, you, you hear all the voices that are rising up uh, in protest and in despair and in complaint. And Lord, uh, we just pray at this time that, that you give each of us uh, an extra measure of patience. Um, to not give in to the temptation to, as has been said this morning, to perhaps turn off, uh, close our doors, close our ears, to give up, but rather, Lord, that you give us <clears throat> that extra measure of patience to be willing to listen, to really lean into your example, Lord, of of one who showed such great tolerance, acceptance, love, that your example of affirmation for each of us is something that we can each uh, take wisdom from and use that, Lord, to be much better listeners to our brothers and sisters who are in pain, who are in anger, and who are frustrated. And Father, as we listen, we pray that you give us the courage to better understand, to really seek to better understand the situations of those who have been deprived, who have been mistreated, and that through that listening and that desire to understand, Lord, that bridges are built that we can all cross and meet on. Because, Lord, the work of self-respect, of love, of affirmation of each other, of treating each other with the dignity that you've given us, that you've blessed each of us with, is something that we can all play a role in. And so we pray that you open our eyes, that you give us the wisdom, and that you encourage us, Lord, to step out and accept this challenge, Lord, uh, to work together to uh, bring this society closer to what you'd have us be and how you'd have us live and how you'd have us treat each other. And we just thank you 
for the opportunity that you've given us this morning to listen and to share and to learn and to perhaps uh, come to a better understanding of what your love really means and how to practice it uh, amongst ourselves in this society. And we just thank you for the grace you've shown us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.